0: in Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of an example of faith here seen in Moses. What does faith in Christ look like? The faith that saves, the faith that justifies sinners before Almighty God. And dear friends, the faith you need to come Christ, The faith you need to come to the table of the Lord here this morning. Our title before we read this section is come to the table by faith. And we're going to read two parts of Hebrews 11. We're going to read verses 1 to 3 first, just for the context of this chapter. And then we're going to read from verses 23 to 29. Verses 1 to 3, first let us hear God's word. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And now we'll go down to verses 23 to 29. The section here speaks of Moses. Moses and the faith of Moses. Verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Again, our text will be from verses 27 to 29 of this chapter. If you hear the the term, a person of faith, a person of faith, what immediately comes into your mind? And as we think about that, what does the world think it means? What does the world think it means? Is it usually accurate? No, not often. Years ago, I remember a particular conversation I had with a close relative of mine. And this, during this conversation, uh, I was recently converted, and we talked about various things about Christ. The Bible came up, and going to church, and various things, and things were changing in my life. And this person was very, very adamant that they were a person of faith. I believe. I go to Mass. Well, they were a Roman Catholic of course. I believe in God. I have great faith. And the more this person talked to me. The more I realized that their, their faith was really in their faith. They were trusting in their trusting. What in? It wasn't very clear. And that tends to be a lot of the views of the world. No doubt, this person, I believe, believes that God exists, but has no idea what saving faith is. Our secular media has no idea what saving faith is when it uses this term, a person of faith. More and more, our schools have no idea what saving faith is. I have been told that there are wonderful exceptions here in this village, but... The norm is more and more education and everything else. Fewer and fewer people seem to know what saving faith is. And this is very important, as without this faith that saves, here this morning, dear friends, do not come to the table. And this may sound incredibly harsh in our modern culture. Don't come. Is he discriminating against me? Well, yes, I am. There is a discrimination that must be made here against those who do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ from coming to the table. And it is, dear friends, for the person who is without faith for their sake and for the glory of Almighty God. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 28, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I do not believe as you do exactly, but I believe you might be saying, you must have this faith. This faith spoken about in Hebrews chapter 11 which talks about it being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in verse 1. You must have this faith that saves which Moses had. That faith that saves which Abel and Enoch, Noah Abraham and others that we see in the same chapter had in God. A faith that changes us. A faith that makes us understand spiritual truth. A faith that makes us a hopeful people for the future. Based on God's promises. A faith which is spoken about by a great Cloud of witnesses here in this chapter. A faith which brings us to the table of the Lord in a worthy manner. Not because of ourselves. None of us are worthy in and of ourselves. But we come, we can come worthy of the body and blood of Christ because of Christ by faith in Him. This morning, From verses 27 to 29, we're going to look at this section of God's Word under these four headings, thinking especially about the table of the Lord. Number one, this faith rejects the world. This faith rejects the world. Verse 27: By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. By faith, He forsook Egypt. And by the world, I just want to be very clear. By the world, I don't mean the creation. By the world, I don't mean even the people in it. We are to love our enemies, the Bible tells us. But by this world, I mean that we reject by faith. Is this fallen world. This ethical system that is in rebellion against God since the fall of Adam. We are to appreciate nature, of course. It is the work of God's hand. But we are told here that by faith Moses left or forsook Egypt. And this is not some casual leaving behind. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that brought Moses to leave Egypt. The Greek word here, translated "forsook," or it's also translated "left" in a number of translations, has a has a kind of a very much stronger sense than even just to leave something. It can be translated "left." But in certain contexts, it's got a very strong meaning. A sense of abandoning. A sense of disdain. A sense of turning our backs on something. A sense of scorn. Moses refused to be part of the royal family of Egypt. He chooses rather to suffer... Valuing the suffering with God's people far greater than the ruling family in Egypt. The, the rejection can't get much stronger than that. The comforts, the privileges that come with being part of the ruling class. And if we see this even in modern day culture, if we see someone who's from a, maybe a privileged background standing up for someone who's not typically listened to in society... We saw oh, that's a brave person standing up for their beliefs. And we respect that. Moses' rejection of Egypt was strong. It, insult, it, it, it even goes so far as to insult the world. Because by turning to Christ, we are turning our back and in really insulting this ethical system. This fallen world, their values and their ways... To the point that this fallen world. Will see you as a traitor. That may seem like a very strong word. Moses. Was suspected as being a criminal. For standing up for one of his brethren. Israel for a long time were treated well. In Egypt. But then after a time. Later. They. Are oppressed, And it's hard for us to picture exactly what is going on here for this reason, because of our Western comforts. If we lived in China and North Korea and other nations where it's very openly hostile to the gospel, we would know all too well. This world expects us to love what they love. And to sin in the way that they sin, it says in First Peter chapter four verse four. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, or it can also be translated riot or excess or wastefulness, speaking evil of you. I can't believe they're not doing this with us. They're not. He's strange. Why is he doing that? We do not like to think of discriminating against any system of beliefs. But we must. We must turn our backs on these system of beliefs. And this is what it is. The world has its system of beliefs. This fallen world has a system of beliefs. Which is at odds with the faith spoken of in Hebrews 11. And without this faith. This saving faith. That leads you out of Egypt. To turn your back on Egypt. Without this faith, coming to the table of the Lord, will he bring wrath upon you? More wrath upon you. Have you rejected the world? Do your friends see it? It's not that we're showing off. It's not that we're kind of going, look at me, I'm so much better than you are. No, no, that's, that's evil and wrong. I'm talking about, can your friends and your family see that you love God? That when there's sin around you, it bothers you. We think of the example in the Bible of Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer of the king. And the king could clearly see Nehemiah was troubled. He was troubled at the state of Jerusalem. It doesn't mean that you show off. But it means that we're different That we belong to the world to come. We do not think like this world. Our thinking, our solutions, what we look toward will be different. In the rejection of this world, the world in turn will reject you. Sometimes we think it will be easy and we can often be shocked when persecution comes. We shouldn't be. Egypt was antagonistic against the seed of Christ, his bride, against Moses, and against Israel. It promoted another law, one that we can no longer live by. So at this point, if you're coming to the table of the Lord in your hearts, you've you've said your goodbyes, as it were, to Egypt. You have forsaken it, turned your back on it. I can even think of my own background as being raised a Roman Catholic. To become a Protestant is also seen in certain quarters as being a traitor. It cuts off the world, and we are dead to it. This world, Manton once wrote, Thomas Manton, is the devil's chessboard. We can't trust it, we can't follow it, and we can't depend on it. We must never return to Egypt. Number two now, this faith fears the king. So we've looked at this faith rejects the world. It rejects the world, but it also fears the king. Fears the king. Verse 27 By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The reason Moses could leave, the only reason he could leave, and it was possible for him to leave, Not fearing the wrath of the king. Not fearing the wrath of the king. And why did he not fear the wrath of the king? For he endured a seeing him who is invisible. He feared another king. Seeing the one who is more powerful than Pharaoh. If he did fear Pharaoh the king. More than God. It would have paralyzed him. With fear. Panic. And fear. Do not help us to think. Do that. I think anybody's ever done an exam. And the wrong question comes up. Knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I say the wrong one. The one you haven't prepared for. And. We also know from history tyrants and dictators use the fear of the people to rule much like how the playground bully rules the playground rules whoever he has terror over through the terror of what might happen through threats those who desire to control the lives of their subject. Often because they can believe that they are some form of God. And I say God with a small g. With, with these kings of old. The pharaohs. Of mighty empires. There's an incredible degree of narcissism. Found in the ancient kings and pharaohs of old. They loved themselves. They were amazing they thought. And if you read anything they ever wrote. They spoke about how they were the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That they saw themselves as more powerful than anyone else. Almost thinking that society is doomed without me. You should be pleased to have me, they might think. But they are not amazing. And only God is. But you cannot have people see through these rulers who they really are. They are weak. They are but feeble men. Who have no real power. Only what has been given to them by God. They cannot let people look behind the curtain. Men who have their own fears often of losing power. And just like any bully there must be intimidation. There must be this rule by fear. With an iron grip. You see this with many, if not all, of the pagan kings of the ancient world. Moses and Aaron, we remember from Scripture, they come before Pharaoh with signs, miracles, and wonders. And what does Pharaoh do? Does he see that there's a God far more powerful than he is? Pharaoh hardens his heart, he stiffens his neck, He has the attitude of God will not tell me what to do. This is my kingdom, he thinks. And there is wrath in the king. Wrath against Moses and wrath against the people of God who will dare to think of leaving. The people of God undergo oppression and cruelty at the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The bully needs to be feared, so he exercises his reign to show who is boss. The wrath of the king controls those who are subject to it. These are threats, and there is oppression, and there is cruelty. And. Sadly, even today, there's, in the last few days in the last few weeks, has been very, very scary news in Germany and Austria and places like that where there seems to be a going away from freedom and towards tyranny. But we are having but a taste, only a taste of the grip Pharaoh had over that society. No one messed with him. We may think today, I don't care what my politician thinks of me. I'm not afraid of him. But back then, if you messed with the king, most likely you die. That is most of human history. I know people, we think today, these things are normal, what are happening today. They are normal. Most of human history is under various terrible, horrible rulers. What we have today is unbelievable blessings that we have any degree of freedom that we have. Yet, with all the danger, humanly speaking, Moses did not fear that king. With all that danger that posed him on paper, I say on paper because he was in no danger. He was in no danger because God was with him, no danger at all this faith has a fear of the right king because he knows that our king is far greater. It's hard to even get an illustration. Do you compare an elephant with an ant? And even then, it's not a great enough illustration to show the difference between earthly kings and those and, and, and the true king of kings and lord of lords. And this morning, dear friends, before we come to the table of the Lord, what king do you fear? The one you fear is the one you serve. And yes, we'll always have apprehension. Sometimes when we give the gospel to somebody, there's a bit of nervousness in us. But our fear of the king of kings and the Lord of lords is greater than any other fears that we have. It must be. Or we will be paralyzed. And we will serve whatever we fear. And God is merciful. And God loves his people. And he wants to show his people. What this world is looking like. I believe that that's what's happening today. Things are changing very, very quickly in the world. And I believe God is mercifully showing us all. That the world is truly the devil's chessboard. He is showing us the wrath of many kings today. And we need to ask ourselves, whom do we fear? And if it is the king of kings, come to the table and rejoice. Number three now. This faith keeps the feast. So this faith rejects the world, it fears the king, it keeps the feast. The feast, verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith he kept the Passover. This faith brought Moses away from the world, away from the fear of the earthly tyrant to celebrate the feast of Passover. There is a deliverance and he could do that because He endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is what got him through. This is what led him to not fear. Any of the wrath of the king. To celebrate the feast. Of the Passover. And if this is you dear friend. You've been delivered from the world. You've been delivered from the fear of this world. Come celebrate this feast today. New Testament. This is our New Testament Passover. No longer bloody like it was. With the slaying of animals. and, And the slaying of the Passover lamb. Now with the bread and the cup. The fruit of the vine. Come and partake. If this is you delivered from spiritual Egypt. And though you may not always live it out, we all vary in our consistency and how much we live it out. If we looked at our own fruit in our lives, and think, "Am I truly a believer at all?" But, if you fear the king, come celebrate this feast. Christ is that Passover lamb who is killed for the salvation and deliverance of his people. It says in 1 Corinthians 5.8, Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Our exodus from Egypt has brought us here, dear friends, to this feast. This sacrament of the Lord's table. To remember his death. His victory over death and hell. So that when we feed on him spiritually. We, we depend on him spiritually. We're built up by him spiritually. We, that we would see that we're nourished by him. The bread and the cup they are A sign and the seal that we are nourished spiritually by Christ. That our life is dependent upon Him. Our eternal life is dependent upon Him. That He sustains us and that He feeds us. As a sign. We think of a signpost pointing towards Christ. The one who died. Who shed His blood. Whose body was broken for our redemption. For our salvation. And as a seal, it confirms to our souls that we belong to him and he belongs to us. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 1 Corinthians 11.26 It must be by faith. The, The physical elements by themselves Don't save anyone. This may seem obvious to you, but there are many people in the world that believe just because they partake of the bread and the wine, that they are Christians. I remember hearing a very prominent politician being asked, were they a Christian? And their answer was, well, I I partake of the bread and the wine. And they thought that was a good enough answer. Without this faith, we treat the feast with contempt. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I urge you, neither must you stay away. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, do not stay away. I know many dear friends who struggle with assurance... Who struggle in different areas. And they think I'm not quite at that standard. Where I can come to the table. No no. This is exactly why you need to come to the table. Because you need strengthening. You need his strength. Come join with us dear believer. Moses. Was not a perfect man. It's very easy to kind of. Yes he didn't fear the king. Yes he forsook Egypt. But he wasn't perfect. His sin had consequences later on in his life. He didn't trust the Lord. And it led to him not entering into the promised land. A saved believer. A believer. But his sin in this world had consequences. However, here Moses is an example of faith. None of the people in Hebrews 11 are perfect examples. But they are a wonderful cloud of witnesses. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. We're we're surrounded by so many great examples here. Lay aside all the things holding you back. Sin. (coughs) If you're a believer here, the devil would love nothing more than for you to stay away from the Lord's table. If you're not a believer here, the devil would love for you to come forward. Examine yourselves, dear friends. If you are a believer in him, with this faith in Jesus Christ, let us look forward to this feast and rejoice. Our final point this morning is this faith trusts the blood. This faith trusts the blood. So it rejects the world, fears the king, keeps the feast. And finally, it trusts the blood. Verses 28 and 29. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the, pa- the, the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Why were the firstborn of Israel not destroyed? With the Egyptians. The danger is we start to think that they were better, they were better than their Egyptian neighbors, that they were in some way morally superior. There was something they did, something, not perfect, but there was something better about them. And this is certainly what happens. This is certainly what happened in the time of the Jews, when Jesus came. And this can be also true in many parts of the world where there's been gospel witness for many a generation. We can forget what we've been saved from. We can forget we're just as guilty as in and of our own selves. As those not born again. And you can think of parts of Scotland. Sadly, has waned. Parts of the United States of America. Here, Australia. It's easy to take these things for granted. People forget they are sinners just as bad and just as under the wrath of God without Christ as pagans are. This is why Paul in his letter to the Romans, he spends the first couple of chapters saying, all are under sin, Jew and Gentile. He takes great pains to show, hey, this is not just a Gentile problem. This is also a Jew problem. And in our modern context, this is not just a Roman Catholic. This is not just a liberal problem. This is also a problem. Every person needs to come to Christ by faith. By faith alone. It doesn't matter if your family background is Protestant or Catholic. You need to come to Christ Unionist or nationalist or neither you need to come to Christ rich or poor you need to come to Christ educated or uneducated you need to come to Christ and say well that wouldn't happen Oh, it's so easy it can happen years ago I remember I was with godly godly Christians we were giving out tracts and I noticed we were very reluctant to give the tracks out to the bikers. They were these scary looking bikers and everybody was a bit afraid of them. And it turned out, two, at least one or two of them are actually Christians. Not very nice people. We do these things without realizing. We take preferences for certain people. We're more likely to witness to certain people. All of us are sinners. All of us are in need of The washing that this blood provides. We all need, as the destroyer approaches, to have over our doorposts that blood so that he would pass over mercifully. We come to the table by faith if we trust in the blood of the Lamb. We come to the table by faith if we trust that we need this blood. And we're no different to Egypt. We're no different to those who are destroyed without Christ. Remember what we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter seven? The Lord did not set His love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers. It's not because you're somehow better. The Lord has set His love upon you, chosen you, had pity upon you. There's nothing in Moses or God's people that said, worthy or better of love than anyone else. He freely showed, if He has freely showed you mercy, dear friend, if if it's clear to you, He is your King, He is your Savior, if you're clearly trusting in the blood, To deliver you from the wrath to come. Come to the table here this morning. I was reading a few days ago and I was shocked to read that every day in the UK, 1,600 people die. I was shocked at that number. I was like, I didn't realize it was that high. I think about 50 of those people die every day in Northern Ireland. Nothing to do with the last 18 months. This is just a general figure. I'm going to find it really hard to say this. But how many of them knew Christ? And how many of them. Did destroyer visit? We're no better than they are. I've been saved since 2009. The longer I'm a Christian. The more likely I am to forget. What I've been rescued from. Of those one thousand six hundred people, how many of them were sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb? Why am I saying this? I'm not saying this purely because it may be upsetting. So that we don't forget We're dealing with life and death, eternal life and death. When you come before the table, you, you're not it's not just some ritual It's not just something we come and we do every few months. We've been washed. We're being fed and we depend on the one whom that points towards. And let us not forget forget to share the gospel. We don't know if we'll ever get a chance to share the gospel with that person again. Without this faith, here's what happens. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. There's a way of blessing for the believer. Coming to the table of the Lord. That is a way of blessing for the believer. A means of grace. But for the unbeliever coming the same path. Destruction. Without this faith. That path that leads to blessing for the believer. Will bring the wrath of God. And that's what the, these Egyptians discovered. They found they could not pass through the, this dry land. The wrath of God came crashing in upon them. By coming to the table of the Lord by eating and drinking of these elements. It doesn't save anyone by itself. We must come by faith. There is nourishment from this sacrament. There is blessing. There is, it is not just, it's not even just remembrance. It's more than that. Yes, we remember the Lord's death. But it's more than that. We are built up. We are strengthened. Oh dear believer. Come and be blessed in Christ here this morning. Here is a wonderful way. That we can be blessed by Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus. But I urge you. Without this faith. Do not come. But I, I go further. Come to Christ. Immediately. I don't care what your background is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You need to be right with God if you do not have this faith. Amen.